Hello, hello, beautiful human. Welcome to Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. This is a podcast where we turn shit you don't want to talk about into shit to talk about. As a reminder, all of the views of our guests are their own. They do not necessarily represent those of the host, Jen Janod, or of the podcast, Shit You Do Not Want to Talk About. Please support us on Patreon or PayPal, help share the show, and if not, you know, keep showing up, loving us, it is all up to you. Stay tuned for a dope episode of Expanding Your Mind, yet always make sure that you keep track of what you need, and if anything is triggering, take a step back, skip this episode. If you're curious if this is going to be triggering or not, feel free to check the episode description. Much love. Hello, beautiful humans. Thank you for joining Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. Today we have Brianna on the show. And please introduce yourself, Brianna, and the shit you want to talk about today. Hey, y'all. My name is Brianna Calderon. I am a licensed mental health counselor in the state of New York. I'm from New York City, the Bronx in particular. I am also licensed now in New Jersey as a licensed professional counselor. And today I want to talk about obsessive compulsive disorder and some of the things that I work with, some of the diagnosis that I work with that I specialize in and why it's important to talk about it. I dig it. I dig it. And I feel like there's this term that's so overgeneralized of OCD. Like I'm so OCD about something or like the media, you're being so OCD and it's almost said as like an insult. And you, remind me again, what does OCD stand for? So OCD stands for obsessive compulsive disorder. And going off of what you just said, people do use it as an adjective. And it's not, okay. I mean, it doesn't even grammatically make sense like saying I'm so OCD because obsessive compulsive disorder is a noun. It is the whole disorder. Okay. You can yeah. say things like I can become obsessive over things. That's the adjective. But, but saying mm -hmm. I'm so OCD is not grammatically correct already. And right. it is kind of like using something that is a debilitating mental illness. It's significantly impactful to people's lives as an adjective to to describe some like quirk. And there's nothing wrong with having quirks. We love quirks. But using a mental disorder to describe a quirk is not exactly the most appropriate thing to do. Thank you for that clarification. How would you describe it to someone? Like, I, especially for those that if I've like never heard of the term before or have like a general knowledge because of media or meeting people in passing, how would you describe it to someone uh, to notice it in themselves or notice it in others? Is it something that's more noticeable from others as well? That's a good question. So sometimes you're going to be able to see the behaviors themselves. So compulsions, the acts, the act part of it is can be behavioral and i think that's where people get the definition kind of confused is that if you see someone doing something that might seem obsessive or seem like they need to do it now it's goes into the adjective of oh i'm so ocd the thing is that what you would be obsessive about and do things in order to make yourself feel better about those obsessions aren't things that you would like to do so when people think about like the cleaning, right? I'm so OCD with cleaning when they use it as that adjective. 
cleaning can bring you happiness. It could be peace. It could be your positive coping mechanism where you're like, you know what, today I would just feel really good if I just stayed in the house and scrubbed it down and, you know, finished it and I could move on with my day and go out and do whatever else I want to do. That's something that people like to do. You can use it as a peaceful kind of, you know, happy thing to do. But for people with obsessive compulsive disorder, it's not something that brings you joy. It's something that brings you distress. It's about distress and anxiety. So the first piece is that obsession. I describe it to people as everyone has intrusive thoughts. That's what we we think about. Every single person on this planet has had an intrusive thought in their lifetime, whether you want to admit it or not. They're just thoughts that you don't particularly like. They just happen. Some people are able to let them go, right? Like if you're if you're uh, someone you love is sick, right? There might be the thought that I could lose this person and that would suck. That would be mm-hmm. absolutely earth shattering. But imagine that your mind is stuck on that for hours, days, weeks on a loop. And you have this kind of itch and urge to fix that thought, to try to make it better, but nothing makes it better. So what do you do? You ask that consistently, maybe excessively ask that person that's sick do you think you're going to be okay reassure me that you're going to be okay maybe you just get stuck on that loop of thinking what if this person dies what if something bad happens these are just intrusive thoughts thoughts that everybody has that are not pleasant they're unwanted but your mind gets stuck on them it's like being on a hamster wheel almost like that just kind of revolving always running on the same thought and not being able to fix it so much so that the trying to fix it those attempts to fix it bring you a lot of distress and anxiety and you just find yourself stuck on that loop always trying to fix something that feels like it can never be fixed i'm letting that one sink in um it's interesting because something that came to mind while you're describing this especially like you use the example if your loved one is is sick is um another one that comes to mind is in relationships like there can definitely be red flags there can also be like you know i i feel like there can be obsessive compulsive um actions towards like if you think your partner is being unfaithful or something and on on something like that or your relative is sick or how do you find is this a hunch like this is something that's really serious or is this anxiety or is this or and if there's ands in there too um or and is this ocd that's the thing is it could be all of it ocd attacks what's realistic what's important to us what we value it goes, it makes us think that we are going against our value. So we call OCD egodystonic. That means that what you're worried about is against your values. When you're worried about your loved one getting sick and dying, it's not because you want them to get sick and die. It's because the thought, the feeling is experienced as intrusive, unwanted, and distressful. But most of the time, OCD is not attacking things that are completely unrealistic. Some of them are probable. 
And most things are possible. All things are possible, actually. So when we have these obsessions, it's because they're usually something that is close in our atmosphere. And it's usually something that we are, we have some type of probability can happen. Does it mean all of that is true? There's a specific type of OCD that we call magical thinking, where the obsession is something realistic or probable or likely or possible, all those things. But the compulsion itself is not related in a realistic way. So for example, uh, I'm sure you've heard of the phrase step on a crack, break your mother's back, right? Yeah. So if I'm, if I have an obsession of me, of something bad happening to my mom or me breaking my mom's back, right? Now I'm not going to step on the sidewalk cracks because my brain's telling me this saves your mom. This keeps your mom safe. But realistically, you know that the two have no connection. Mm-hmm. The obsession itself, though, is a valid worry. You're worried about causing harm to your mom or something bad happening to your mom. But the compulsion itself is not a realistic, it's not realistically going to fix the problem, even if it were a more connected behavior. So obsessions are always things that are things that we care about. They're things that we worry about and they're not abnormal behaviors. I really want to normalize some of these thoughts is that they're not totally abnormal or crazy or weird. They're just thoughts and they're worries that we have because we care about the content of them. And OCD takes that opportunity to kind of hijack our values and make us distrust ourselves. Interesting. And as we're talking about anxiety side of it, my dog is having an anxiety attack outside the door. So give me just a second. Go ahead. Doggo, come in here. Yes. Yes. Okay. The door is getting shut though. So you're stuck in here now. (laughs) All right. Excuse me, ma'am. Earlier, mine just busted through the door and I was like, (sighs) I can hear her whining the entire time. And I was like, dude, I got, I got it. We're recording. She doesn't care. She doesn't care if I'm live streaming, doing the podcast. She will interject. She is an old lady. Um, I think that's really cool how you can distinguish the, I guess not cool, but it's interesting that you can distinguish between like uh, it being, did you call it magical OCD? Magical thinking. Yeah. So having that kind of like, okay realistic worry but the compulsion itself is just not connected in a realistic way so how did you get I'm gonna take a step back how did you get into wanting to go into the OCD field I feel like it is a very very niche field or is it like giant and I just never knew about OCD very much which is totally possible I didn't know anything about OCD really until I started working for NoCD, which is the company that I work for. I had gotten my license. I was, you know, freshly with a piece of paper that says I am legally able to provide therapeutic services in the state of New York um, as a mental health counselor. And I was just looking for a change. So I came from a completely different, a still, you know, counseling um, background, but a completely different population. I worked in the in the developmental disabilities department in different community health centers um, in New York, in New York City, and I was just looking for a change, looking for a different experience because I think it's good to be well rounded and good to dip your toes in different things. Um, and I wanted really kind of like I wanted to work from home. This was like yeah, 
in the middle of the pandemic uh, that I made this switch and I wanted to try working from home because I was in a community where I wasn't really able to work from home, even in the height of the pandemic. It was a very short period of time. So I wanted to see what telehealth was all about, being able to provide telehealth services to people all around the state without having, you know, to have them come to an office in New York City somewhere and spend time on the train or spend time in the car. Yeah all that stuff so i just looked on indeed like most people most millennials and gen z gen x people do i just you know went on indeed and found got an interview with no cd became a therapist at no cd and i gotta say they the company provides excellent clinical training we make sure that you are an expert in ocd by the time you are going out there and seeing people um on telehealth on this telehealth platform so I just became an expert in OCD and I started seeing members and as you know, we really make sure that you are confident and able to see a member because your clinical skills are refined. So I just went with it. And ever since then, I haven't looked back. I love treating OCD. I think it's the treatment that we do is effective. We see the change and there's a lot more people that meet this criteria than meets the eye. So just being able to not just treat OCD, but teach people how to treat OCD and teach, give people psychoeducation, the general population psychoeducation on what this disorder is, how it's been stigmatized, how it's been mischaracterized in the media and you know popular places that we see, and just being able to give people the education about what to look for. And thank you for that. I think uh, it is so, overly stigmatized and I love how you talk about going into it and I'm glad that you were able to get into telehealth it's that is something that I I know that so many individuals in the healthcare uh in the healthcare system are still struggling with being overworked and underpaid it's it's you know those are all systemic issues that we can talk about one day but (laughs) Um, I'll be back. (laughs) Right. Now, you talked about, you know, the psychoeducation and breaking the stigma. We, we talked about, about, you said the magical thinking. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, When you're educating individuals on this, like, is there like a top five or top three or something that are the most uh, seen disorders? And is there a way, like, if I were like, you know, I think I might be OCD, like how I go through and might look into this? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So first thing is that we want follow us on, on Instagram. So first of all, follow the OCD platform on Instagram. And there are a bunch of therapists that work for an OCD that have our own counseling pages there you can kind of get a semblance of what does it look like do I know someone that fits this mold do I fit this mold is this the way I think and just being able to educate yourself without having to fully pay for it or go through you know meeting someone and committing making that big commitment because it is a commitment just go and educate yourself and see if maybe this is resembling some of your experiences or maybe someone you know that you're looking to help Second is we categorize, we call the different types of OCD or the different themes of OCD subtypes or themes. Now, I'm always careful to go through what's like the most common or what kind of comes across my desk the most because 
we can call each subtype a separate subtype, but a lot of times we see the convergence of subtypes. So I'll give you an overview of the type of subtypes that usually converge, right? So harm OCD, the fear that you might be responsible in some way for harm or just the worry that some harm may come to you or your loved ones, whether physical harm, emotional harm, mental harm, disasters, accidents, um, just general bad circumstances, that is harm OCD. Then we have things like um, contamination OCD. So this could be a fear of germs, whether it's just the fear of feeling dirty or the fear of spreading germs, the fear of getting people sick because you've spread germs, COVID kind of, the fear of COVID um, comes into this category. But even if we look at those two categories, let's say I have a fear of spreading COVID, right? My obsession is that I'm going to get COVID, I'm going to spread COVID, I am going to end up spreading COVID to someone who is immunocompromised, and I am going to kill them because I went out there and was irresponsible and spread germs to people, and now someone is going to die because of me. That also so is harm OCD. It's both, exactly. It's both. It's not just the contamination, that's just one layer of it. The harm piece is another layer of it. It's not either or. It's both enmeshed together. So when we look at subtypes, it's really good to categorize and kind of conceptualize what you're experiencing. But I don't want people to get hung up on saying, I have harm OCD, I have contamination OCD, I have health anxiety OCD, because a lot of times there are pieces of them, layers of them that look like each other. So you have obsessive compulsive disorder, and these are some of the themes that you worry about. Uh, would that mean that, like, a hypochondriac could have, like, health OCD and, like, the fear of that they are thinking they're sick when they're not really sick? Absolutely. A lot of people that I've I've worked with in the past and continue to work with describe themselves when they first have an, an, an initial assessment with me to ensure that they have obsessive compulsive disorder a lot of people say you know i've always been kind of a hypochondriac and then we go through the criteria together and they answer their questions and in fact they do meet criteria for obsessive compulsive disorder overall and their specific type of of obsessions are fear of having a disease fear of spreading a disease a disease just general health anxiety that results in compulsion, engaging in compulsions. I keep trying to mute myself because the dog is whining. <laughs> so for everybody listening, if there's a really long pause, it is because the dog's whining and I'm trying to mute myself during it. Now, okay, so that, I thank you for answering a few of these like what if ones. Um, a, I know they're probably like super annoying. I also feel like it really helps starting to put it into like visualizations that we may already be, uh, you know, have seen or can associate it with. Uh, even though it's very difficult, I know uh, just so much of the shit we talk about on this podcast is like, no, it doesn't fit into a box. I get that. I do. Yet. I'm pretty sure, I mean, you're a therapist, so you'll know better than me, but it, the feeling I get is that for us to learn, a lot of times it's easier for us to associate with something we already know 
and then course correct or learn something new from there. Absolutely. That's, and that's kind of why it's pretty much why psychoeducation is ongoing because you can learn, there's a big learning curve when it comes to starting therapy, um, starting the, the type of treatment that we do for OCD, which we can get into later on. But the psychoeducation piece is really important because having OCD and knowing about it is a big learning curve, but it doesn't stop in that first kind of after we've diagnosed you with OCD session, because there's always things that you're going to be learning along the way that we have to process in session as well. And part of that is, yes, categorizing your OCD into these different parts, going with that. And then as we go along with and we get new information, like how they converge at different parts, then we continue with that information. So psychoeducation isn't just a one session, two session thing. It's heavily focused on in a session or two. And then we just continue going with it because there's always something new to learn about yourself in therapy. I agree with that 100%. And uh, that's that's for any type of condition or just life. Life happens. And now, uh, I know that, that this may be a bigger debate of, is it something that uh, what happened to us because of like trauma, or is it something that we just happen to be born with, or where does OCD come from? We never really can get that certainty, which is ironic because OCD loves certainty. OCD wants you to chase that extra but what if, but let's just try this just because there's nothing wrong with just stepping in the sidewalk cracks because it's going to save your mom, even if it has nothing to do with it might as well. Right. So it's ironic that that we really don't have a perfect answer of where OCD comes from. Part of it is genetic predispositions. Sure. The other parts are experiences. Other parts are traumatic, you know, relating to trauma. That doesn't mean that PTSD causes OCD or vice versa. It just means that um, your diagnoses can influence each other. So I have worked with people who have traumatic experiences or uh, meet the criteria for PTSD. And although it's not the only diagnosis they have, they also have OCD. There are parts of their trauma that influence their compulsive behaviors. So I might not be treating the trauma, the PTSD specifically, but I will treat the elements of of PTSD that overlap with OCD. Um, and there's, you know, more evidence-based treatments that we could do with PTSD that are really kind of aligned with what we do for OCD. Um, it's just that each disorder really deserves its special attention. I dig that. And uh, for the beautiful humans listening, uh, a way that I, I, I wanna see if I understand this, explaining it back to you, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. And so for myself, I have bipolar type two, PTSD, anxiety, depression, dyslexia. I think that's it. I might be forgetting one. And they all do overlap where like my, uh, my, Bipolar type two can also look like anxiety or depression. My like ADHD when I'm hyper-focused could, you know, look like I am another way of being bipolar type two. They, they really do all overlap. They show up with each other. Um, a lot of mine is from traumatic experiences, yet 
I think it's so important for anyone wondering to go get the help and go find out because I'm not hearing like how you talked about that. Even if you have PTSD, you might have OCD, but that doesn't mean that they caused each other. And also in the same fact, I took a lot of the trauma I went through and went very inward, Mm -hmm. like it was all my fault and things like that. And from my understanding is that is a lot to do with more of like the PTSD instead of OCD. And that's why you go to a therapist, y'all. Just like, I really want to, because I went to multiple therapists from moving and being able to see what it was and diagnosed and work on a specific part is so, so important because something that works for anxiety, okay, anxiety is probably not, we're going to go ADHD, something that might work for ADHD may not work for OCD, and um, wait, I'm just realizing, so, uh, okay, so obsessive compulsive disorder is OCD, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder and then uh ADHD is why am I suddenly attention deficient hyperactivity disorder yeah all right there we go we got uh, like there's so many acronyms all the acronyms (laughs) all the acronyms and it's it's definitely something where these definitely can overlap so I really appreciate you saying that yet I know I'm wanting to name these out though because Mm -hmm. It is so, so, so important not just to self-diagnose. And it is also important that if you're not seeing progress in your therapy session to possibly get a second opinion or that type of thing. I say that because you you set it up perfectly of like the type of work that you do for OCD. And so sorry if you hear my dog. She sounds like a cow or something. I don't, I don't I even know. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. They think you're a cat, not a cow. <laughs> Doggo, you've got to be quiet. Okay, well. Um, what? Bam. Okay. Why every time I try to talk? Excuse my dog. all of the dog interruptions out <laughs> make sure some of it makes it right uh well i'm just gonna leave it in there because everybody <laughs> knows about my my doggo loves to interrupt go out there go go i will leave the door cracked you can come back in if you freak out enough all right so with uh no cd and the type of work that you do what would somebody do you mentioned that they go you go through a form with them and kind of like figure out is do they really have OCD what what is the treatment style like with you what treatments are there out there and what is the one that y'all do Mm -hmm. so for OCD specifically we do a treatment called ERP it stands for exposure and response prevention and ERP is kind of born out of, I'm going to throw another acronym at you guys, so please be patient with me, but I'll go through it. 
ERP was kind of born out of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the kind of the most popular evidence-based therapy that most people hear about when, you know, even we go into grad school and, and become therapists to school, be, go to school to become counselors. Um, when people go to therapy themselves, you'll probably hear that your therapist does CBT. It's evidence-based, which means that it has a lot of scientific evidence, clinical backings. We've done experiments and research on it that this is effective for specific concerns. So ERP, exposure and response prevention, what we do for OCD is an evidence-based practice that is really the gold standard for OCD treatment. It shows that it's really effective to decrease those obsessive compulsive symptoms in people in a shorter period of time. So we wanna really be able to get people feeling better faster through the treatment that we do. All right. I'm going to have you unpack that one a little bit for me because like I understood the words you're saying. Now, did it actually sink in? Not as much. So CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes. And that one is like the most popular version of therapy. It's like the and grandparent therapy of okay. different types of specialized therapies. All right. And is that one like what's considered talk therapy or one version of talk therapy? It can definitely be implemented throughout psychotherapy and talk therapy. And you can do uh, cognitive behavioral interventions in therapy based on what the person is saying is their concerns. Um, and what we do here is, has, like I said, it was born out of cognitive behavioral therapy. So it has the same foundation of it. We just execute it a little bit differently. And there are some, you know, stipulations that differ. All right. I'm, I'm comparing it to something I know just to see if I can get it all put together. So I have done EMDR therapy. Mm -hmm. So that's um, eye movement desensitization repetition. And uh, so what I can explain that as is basically before um, doing a, uh, a session, like describing on a scale of one to 10, how much does this thing bother me? And then um, you do your, uh, the eye movement is with a light or a, so, uh, it could be on a screen of going back and forth while it's like while you're thinking through a specific that thought and going deeper because that will actually rewire your uh, the brain to realize oh that's just a memory not a uh, a traumatic memory right and I, I'm using that as reference because I'm like okay cool I know eye movement desensitization repetition you're doing something with your ass. <laughs> so what are you doing with cognitive? So I'll give you the foundation. Okay. CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy says thoughts, feelings, and behaviors influence each other. So if I have a thought, it triggers me to feel whichever type of way. And I behave in a way that manages, monitors, or controls those feelings, right? So if I have a, if I'm worried about a test, right? I feel anxiety and I'm going to do things that are gonna try to manage my anxiety, but they might not be the most healthiest behaviors, right? So I may like stress eat or where maybe I'm like binging or I may do something like, um, try to distract myself by doing something unproductive or anything that really tries to manage my anxiety because of that feared 
thing that's going to happen. Cognitive behavioral therapy will work with those types of concerns and they're good. They're, it's a good evidence-based way to work with concerns overall, but it's also the foundation of ERP. So if we're still working from that thoughts, feelings, behaviors framework, if I have an intrusive thought, it makes me feel anxious, distressed, nervous, worried, guilty, shameful, and I behave in a way that helps me rid myself of those feelings, those negative emotional state, those negative feelings. So if I have an obsession, I'm going to have a feeling and I'm going to do a compulsion. Mm-hmm. We do ERP to kind of undo that cycle. So the goal is not to replace those behaviors, those compulsions with other behaviors because the compulsions are not bad behaviors and they're not out of the ordinary behaviors. They're just disproportionate, excessive and unnecessary. So for example, if I have contamination OCD and I'm worried about germs, right? Spreading germs, maybe COVID, all those kinds of contaminants. I'm going to maybe excessively wash. Maybe I will make sure that I take my shoes off at the door and I will have you know, a temper tantrum if I see anyone's shoes in my house, not outside of the door. Maybe I um, take off all my clothes when I'm, the, when I'm at the door and I immediately get in the shower or I immediately change, but it doesn't bring me any joy. It relieves me of some anxiety, but the anxiety never really goes away. It relieves me of some distress in the moment, but it's not long-term relief from the distress. So those are my compulsions that I'm using in order to fix the worry about the germs. If we're doing ERP, we are going to change those behaviors and help you deal with the distress of the possibility of being germy. Why? Because the behaviors that you're doing are not bad. It's not bad to wash your hands. It's not bad to change your clothes. If you've been, you know, in the middle of summer out here in New York City, it's like 90 degrees and it's like 150% humidity. So yeah, I would understand why people want to take their clothes off when they get home before they sit on their couch. But we want to use kind of reversing those behaviors, reducing, minimizing, and eventually eliminating the need for those behaviors to help you manage the distress. A lot of times we think of, we have to rid ourselves of anxiety. We have to completely eliminate it from our lives, get rid of it. Anxiety isn't always bad. It's just a human emotion, like all the other human emotions. Sometimes anxiety is, you know, it helps motivate us. Other times we work so hard to rid ourselves of it that we just make ourselves more anxious so we are trying to teach interventions that help you learn how to manage your distress on your own in the effort to decrease it long term rather than engaging in compulsions that only help you manage your distress for a short term and then it just the anxiety comes right back it's just a kind of perpetual state of doing my compulsion feeling my obsession doing my compulsion i feel a little bit better but then the anxiety comes back. It wasn't a long-term solution to a long-term problem. Interesting. That's definitely interesting. And thank you for breaking that down. I think it, it makes it a lot easier to understand the differences, but then also understand how uh, E, wait, wait, CP, is it EBT? 
ERP. <laughs> ERP. I love that. I love that because it morphed oh. both of them. But yeah, ERP and CBT. All right. All right. Now, if I can see, and you've talked about it a bit, how this can be a huge struggle for someone. And it, we talked about how a bit for them to get help and, you know, um, you know, ways to look up uh, you, the, your organization for being able to look into maybe different ways of realizing it themselves. Now, not all of us always realize it ourselves, and we could possibly also see that it's a possibility in someone else or it's a long-term thing that someone we love is dealing with. How would you suggest that if we know someone that has it, um, that we best support them? Number one, you want to encourage and support. So you want to set up a framework where you're not judging, you're not, uh, it doesn't seem like you're attacking, but you're trying to educate this person or yourself on what this looks like just in the event that someone might feel like they align with these type of symptoms. So I would just send resources, really, really. The power of sending educational resources is unfathomable. It doesn't mean that you have to push someone or force someone to go into therapy if they're not ready, because it's a process. Everyone has to work at their own pace. Like I said, learning about OCD once you have it is a learning curve. Figuring out that what you're experiencing has a name to it is its own journey. So you really want to be able to be kind, gentle, educational, resourceful, so that if you are looking to help someone you love or help someone you care about, you're presenting it in a way that, hey, I have this piece of information. I know that you said you've been struggling for a while. I don't, you know, I'm not a therapist, but if you look at this, does any of this ring a bell for you? Is this what you're experiencing? Because I want to know how I can best support you and best help you, but I just don't know the names of how to kind of categorize what you're experiencing. So framing it as a supportive kind of educational piece so that the person can learn for themselves. Well, maybe this is what I, maybe this is exactly explaining what I've been experiencing or you know what, I, I kind of see that, but not really. It's not particularly, you know, aligned with everything that I've been, you know, going through and thinking and experiencing, but I see that resource that that person, you know, linked on whatever, whatever resource you decide to send just so we can spread information because the reality is that we are still woefully stigmatized, not just OCD, but mental health in general. Mm -hmm. It's hard to, it's important for people to get a diagnosis because it's important to know what's going on in your head, but we also want to be able to see the symptoms so we can treat the symptoms. So really sending educational resources and supporting people in that type of atmosphere is really important. I love that. It's it's definitely something that it can be hard to realize ourselves if we have something going on, uh, especially when uh, I feel like so many of us are just really good at masking, meaning, and by what I mean of masking, and please tell me if this is matches with, a, you know, the um, therapist way of pretending to be you could say almost like atypical or normal, like nothing's going on, but internally we're like a hot mess or a disaster. <laughs> yeah, you're blending in. You're trying to blend in so that yeah. you don't seem strange or weird or out of control or not able to handle it or not reliable, not dependable. All the things that 
have, when we seem like we're not okay, all those things get attached to us. Like they cannot perform, they cannot do things right because if we're not okay, that's how we can be perceived. And that's how we can feel that we can be perceived. But in the end, it really doesn't help us to, it doesn't benefit anyone to mask. It doesn't be any, benefit anyone to just blend in and try to seem like a normal person when, especially when you know that I'm experiencing something that I'm probably not alone in, but it's definitely not my norm. And I know that I'm not working at, I'm not functioning at my optimal levels that I could be functioning at. Would you, you mentioned that and something that came to mind was having to deal with this at work or with a colleague or a parent or a child, like if you are aware that you have OCD and you're working through it, like what can our community around us do? Because the relationship to a child or to a colleague or you know, a parent or a boss, they're all going to be slightly different with what we may need from them or what we can provide. Absolutely. So when it comes to OCD, we want to be able to, and, and this is a kind of fine line to walk because you don't have to go around wearing your diagnosis on your sleeve. You mm-hmm. want to be able to tell people if they can help you and support you people that you trust, people that you know are going to support you and not judge you for it. So mm-hmm. I don't encourage anyone, if you don't feel comfortable with sharing your diagnosis, you don't have to do anything you don't want to. Yeah. But if you have a good support circle, good colleagues, good family, good friends that can assist in treatment, there it never hurts to have extra hands. So for supporting people you love with OCD, we have these things in OCD called accommodations. And accommodations are just general ways that the people we care about, our support circle, supports us, but on a surface level. Unfortunately, that support is usually enabling in OCD. It's not something bad. I don't want you know loved ones out there to think that they're doing something bad. You are not doing something inherently bad. It's just that OCD really hijacks good opportunities. So it makes what is support into something that's not, it makes it into enabling. So for example, if I'm going back to contamination stuff, cause that's kind of the, the one that people can conceptualize the easiest. If I don't want to touch my doorknobs because I'm scared of all the germs and all the germs that I'm going to spread me myself, then maybe I have someone open the door for me. Or maybe I have someone open the door for me with a paper towel so that no one touches germs, right? Makes logical sense. If I don't want germs, I'm gonna avoid them. It is a compulsion, but it makes sense, logistical sense in in the OCD world. However, although that person is trying to make you feel better, they're reinforcing the behavior. They're reinforcing the compulsion because they're saying, well, I know you're worried about this thing. And although I don't think you need to be worried about it because I see it brings you so much distress, I'm gonna do it anyway. So then the loved one or friend or whoever opens the door with a paper towel and make sure that no one has, no one that's coming into the home or coming into the residence is uh, you know, coming in contact with germs. We've avoided germs. It doesn't help. 
You're not doing something wrong, inherently wrong, but it's just reinforcing that there is something to be feared and that if they won't do their compulsion, they have a third party to do the compulsion for them. And that only helps OCD, that only feeds and nourishes OCD. And we don't want to feed and nourish OCD. We want to starve it. Okay, so in that same scenario, um, is there a way that we want to help starve it, I guess you could say, of like, no, bro, you got to open the door yourself. I'll wait. Absolutely. We want to be, and that's where the ERP, exposure response prevention, comes in. So the exposure piece is you go, you, a person with OCD, going about your business, experiencing becoming triggered in your everyday environments and allowing yourself to be triggered, allowing yourself to be exposed to the feared event. So just going into the door, right? Maybe the first exposure we might do is not automatically you touching it because that might be really shocking and too much in that, you know, those first initial sessions, but maybe you witness your loved one open the door without the paper towel at first. And, you know, just allow them to do that. And maybe you'll see them touch some things, but you won't insist on them washing their hands or decontaminating. We're just gonna sit through the distress of witnessing a person that we love becoming a contaminant and contaminating the rest of the environment. That's a good way to do an exposure with your loved one who is not, who is trying to not provide accommodations for you. But it does mean that we have to do things incrementally. We wanna start out low with things that are less distressful than the worst distress, because we don't wanna shock you into doing things that are uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable for a reason. So we do need to go step-by-step step in order to help your brain acclimate and adapt to the distressful moment. Interesting. There is so much that we've gone through today and I'm, I'm, I'm completely like, I, I do wanna to touch base on, on this one though, as, um, before we start wrapping up of, it with exposure and i believe we talked about this on uh one of our pre-calls but of like it, how you compared it to the door it totally makes sense when i think of anything that with composure therapy for example um i think of if you're afraid of swimming jump like forcing someone to jump in the pool um, which that would be very jarring and drastic and not yeah. what you were just talking about. So if like, how do you, how would you explain to someone that could be afraid of like water or bridge or something like that to be able to start working through that? So a good way is that, and the way that we do this in exposure and response prevention is we build something called a hierarchy. So that means pretty much you, it's exactly what it sounds like, you ranking your triggers or your fears from lowest to highest. So okay. in our treatment, we're never going to start with the stuff that's like highest level, 10 plus, right? Because that is going to be that jolt. That's going to be the thing that scares you off from therapy. You're not going to build a good relationship with me or any therapist because I will have thrown you into an emotional coma by making you do first session after the assessment, the most scary thing that you could think of. That is not good treatment. So we got to start at the bottom. And that means we have to find a mechanism that says, here is this thing that is distressful but it's not the worst thing in the world i don't like doing it i'm not going to fully avoid it 
I definitely feel anxiety if I have to do it. So we can start there versus something that is maybe like a 10 plus of fear on a, on a fear scale where you're like, no, I completely avoid that. I haven't done that thing in years. And it's going to take a lot of work to try to get up to that. We need to essentially build an immunity along the way for you to feel like, okay, I've knocked down this obstacle. Now I got to jump to the next one. And eventually we will knock down that obstacle. And then we're going to be knocking down all the obstacles before that one thing that I haven't done in years, because I feel confident enough to actually face, even though I still feel anxiety and fear. That is a lot to process just in general. Like we, like I can see how media has definitely helped with making OCD an adjective and now trying to put it back into like, you know, the original diagnosis and learning about it and destigmatizing it. We've definitely gone through a lot. Is there anything that you specifically wanted to cover that we haven't covered today? I think that on it, on ending on a not inspirational, but positive note, there is a therapist out there for you that fits. If you feel like you've aligned or, or experienced anything that we've talked about today, definitely take a look at, just do your research, exposure response prevention, OCD. It's really hard to find, not that it's really hard, but you wanna be able to find someone that fits with you and you want to be able to find the therapy that works for you, because although there are many different types of interventions and many different types of therapies, not every therapy is good for OCD and not every mm -hmm. what works for OCD might not work for something else. Right. What I do want to leave people with is, and this is going to be a little bit of a jolt for people. If you have OCD or if you think you have OCD and you want to get an assessment, no CD or any, uh, any organization that specializes in OCD and does ERP, don't do talk therapy, please. I have no problem with talk therapists. Talk therapy is important. Psychotherapy is important, but talk therapy does not work for OCD. Not because it's bad, not because the therapist is not a good therapist. There are fine therapists out there that provide talk therapy, psychotherapy, and the other non-evidence-based treatments that do make an impact, a positive impact on people's lives. But talk therapy is just, for OCD, it allows you to ruminate. It allows you to stay stuck on that thought loop. It allows you to talk through your worry, your concern, reinforcing the worry, the concern, or the fear we want to actually make behavioral changes that's why erp is really really effective for ocd because it encourages and breeds those active behavioral changes talk therapy unfortunately is going to send you down a rabbit hole because all you're going to do is talk about the thing you're worried about why you're worried about it why it's valid because it usually is valid and how you can't do anything to fix it because a lot of times what you're worried about is not just easily fixable by you as a singular person. So you mm -hmm. want to be able to get specialized OCD treatment. Again, talk therapy is awesome. It works for a lot of things. It just doesn't work for obsessive compulsive disorder because it's just going to keep you on a thought loop. And the person giving you therapy is usually going to reassure you, which is just a third party compulsion. It's another accommodation.
interesting. And I love that you brought that up. So that way somebody doesn't end up getting stuck in the loop because I, even as you just said, like they could be great therapists, but they don't have a specialty to know to send somebody to, um, to this or, so there's a lot to say there. And I appreciate that. Do you have any words of wisdom for our audience? you deserve to get specialized treatment, whether it's for OCD or anything else, you deserve to see a therapist who knows specifically about the disorder that you are diagnosed with. I also want people to feel like they can access treatment. Recently, NoCD was, has, is now covered by Aetna. I'm pretty sure all over the country. So a, a major insurance company please if you feel like you align with it check your your insurance company and check that you can have services provided through no cd or through anyone that provides exposure response prevention start looking for a therapist that specializes in the actual concerns you have and take that step to get a proper diagnosis because we are also woefully misdiagnosed in this country there are just you know many diagnoses that have Maybe someone has an experience, has some elements of different diagnoses, but we don't have a full, you know, a- appropriate diagnosis. So make sure that you see someone who is hearing your concerns. Advocate for yourself more than anything. If your therapist does not vibe with you, make sure you find someone that does because you deserve it. I love that. I love that. And how does the beautiful humans listening or watching uh, get in touch with you or no CD? No, follow NoCD on Instagram, um, follow Jenna Overbow, who runs our NoCD account on Instagram, and follow, you can follow me on Instagram as well. Sometimes I post some stuff from my counseling page. Um, it's called 718 Counseling, at 718 Counseling. And uh, yeah, you can find me. Sometimes I make features on, NoC, on the NoCD Instagram, and I will be on different podcasts, so reach out to me. Yay, and that is definitely something uh... And to back it up of just another platform of just overall, like mental health and figuring things out. I started hosting a Twitter space on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 1600 UTC. I have to work on the, the global timeframes. And last but not least, Brianna, what is something that you're grateful for? Ooh, something that I'm grateful for. The next couple of days, this is probably so silly, but the next, I live in New York City. The next couple of days are supposed to be pretty cool. So I'm thankful that as much as I love summer, summer's coming to an end and we'll get some nice fall weather because it's been hot as hell out here. I dig it. You can see from my hair, the humidity has taken form. So I'm grateful for cool weather in the next couple of days. I dig it. I'm going to ride that vibe and it's been hot here in Denver and I'm definitely looking forward to some cooler days and yeah, cause the heat, man, I know I'll be complaining about the cold when it gets here too, but at least for that, I can put on more bundles. I like sweaters. You can see I've got low standards when it comes to weather. Cause I'm just thankful that the next couple of days aren't going to be 90 to hundred around here. I love it. I love it. And thank you, Brianna, for joining today. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Jen. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.